0: Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 this morning. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, as I like to do at Christmas time, Well, this year we're going to be looking at Christmas in the Psalms. Um, and part of the reason why we, we go to different places in the Bible for this time of the year is because the entire Bible is about Jesus. Uh, And because the entire Bible ends up leading us to Jesus, that means you can get to Christmas from almost any place in the Bible. And so this month we're going to be looking at various psalms to show us how even the psalms, the the hymn book of Israel, uh, leads us to our faithful Savior Jesus Christ. And so leads us ultimately to his birth. And especially that's the case here in Psalm 2, uh, this royal psalm uh, that sets the beginning of the Psalter, of the, the 150 psalms that we have in the Old Testament, and ultimately tells us that, that this king that rules over Israel is God's king, and he's God's king, which means he's God's son, and that's good news for you and me this morning. But in order for us to see how that's the case, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come desiring your help this morning that we might have ears to hear the word of the Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray, come, take these words from Holy Scripture. Use them in our hearts and lives so that we might be transformed, indeed, conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ as we bow the knee to him. Grant us this, Lord, we ask, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 2 this morning. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cores from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth Thanks be to God. It had been over 500 years since they had had a king, their own king, a king from the line of David. 500 years. Think about how long that is. Just a couple of years ago, back in 2017, we we remembered and celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Uh, in 1517, Martin Luther had nailed his 95 feces to the Wittenberg church door 500 years ago. Think of all the changes the world had known from, from Luther's time to our own time. 500 years. That's how long ago it was when Zedekiah was marched off to Babylon. When, when Jerusalem was burned to the ground when, when the nations not only raged, but when they, when they trampled over God's people. And yet for 500 years, God's people held on to the promises. The promises of 2 Samuel 7, that God would establish the line of David. That there would be a king in that line who would rule over God's people forever. A forever king Ruling over a forever kingdom. And for 500 years, clinging to those promises while the, while the Babylonians and the Persians, the Greeks and the Romans ruled, still the promises were there. There in the Holy Scriptures. Still waiting fulfillment. The, the beginning, right there. Waiting, God's people were waiting for the anointed one, waiting for the anointed one, that the Messiah, the Christ. What made it worse, though, was that this song was in the hymn book. Of course, the psalms, they're the hymn book that represents the hymn book of Israel. And right at the beginning of that hymn book, you have Psalm 2. Indeed, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 frame the entire book. They, they set forward the themes. That will be unpacked over and again psalm 1 blessed is the man who or woman who meditates on god's law day and night psalm 2 blessed is the man or the woman who bows the knee to god's king god's king who's in fact god's own son representing god's will in the midst of god's people and yet for 500 years as they sang these songs there was no messiah There was no Davidic king, no evidence that God was actually ruling over his people, ruling the nations. He said all that was obvious was the fact that the nations raged. They sang these words, those God-fears, those promised believers. Why did the nations rage? Why are they uh, plotting in vain? The question the psalm asks is actually one of surprise there in verse 1. Why in the world are the nations raging? Why are they murmuring? Why are they plotting when it's all so futile to God's people? The nations raging, murmuring, plotting didn't seem futile at all. Rather, the propaganda, the, the mind-washing, the bold boasts of the nations... They, they seemed all too warranted because, of course, Judah, the, the land that God's people occupied, was a, a political football. They were a vassal state. They were ruled over. And when they were important, when there was conflict, there was conflict. But for the rest of the time, Judah was ignored on the world stage. And so for the most of that time, uh, Judah would go about living their lives. God's people would rebuild their houses, rebuild their temples, try to, to get on with things. Of course, there were a few times between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. There were a few times where, where Judah's land and Judah's people burst onto the world's attention. Uh, in the mid-second century, when the Antich- IV Epiphanes um, created trouble by bringing in a, a god Zeus into the temple um, mid-first century when the Romans would drive out the Maccabeans who were ruling over the people in Jerusalem a, a few times when Judah would come to the world's attention and yet always the song was sung always the hymn book was read in the light of Psalm 2 why do the nations rage? Why, why do they talk so much? Why do they murmur? Why do they plot? And against whom were they murmuring? A- against whom were the nations raging? Against whom were they plotting? Well, not against Judah. I mean, not against the people. Not against the putative rulers of Judah. No, the nations are raging against God and against his anointed one. That's what the psalmist has us sing. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth, verse two, set themselves. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. When this song was originally written, whether by David or by Asaph or by somebody else, we don't know, Psalm 2 is not attributed, but when this song was written, the the Lord's anointed one was in fact Israel's king, a king in the line of David. In in fact, some believe that Psalm 2 was a song that would have been sung during the enthronement ceremony for the new king, that the new king in the line of David would be anointed with oil, and that anointing with oil would make him messiah because the hebrew word messiah simply means anointed one so each king in the line of david was a kind of messiah but the king would be anointed with oil and then this song would be sung the nations are raging they're murmuring they're plotting against god plotting against yahweh the ruler of the whole world plotting against not just god but his messiah his anointed king this king in the line of David, anointed to rule the nations. And what, what were the nations wanting? The nations are raging. They're plotting against God, against his anointed. What, what did they want? Well, freedom. The nations wanted freedom. Freedom from God, ultimately. That's what verse 3 says. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And so the nations are raging against God's rule over them, and they long for freedom, freedom from God, freedom from his word, from his way, from his rule. But listen, the nations raging against God and his rule, desiring freedom from themselves and their desires, that's a story that's as old as Eden, and as new as recent movies that that our culture adores. This, this demand for freedom from God, it's as old as Eden. What was it that the serpent said to Adam and Eve? That's right, take the fruit. Take the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, because God knows that in the day you eat of it, you'll be wise. You'll have freedom. You can do what you want. You'll be a God. And that story of freedom, it's as new as as beloved movies that are are in recent days our culture so loves. Like Frozen. What was it that Elsa sang? You remember? It's time to see what I can do, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. It's a song as old as heathen, as recent as recent movies. It's ultimately the song of our own hearts because of course this this raging against god this longing for freedom this desiring to do our own will to be a god that's in your heart it's in my heart too we want freedom from god Freedom from his rule, freedom from his way, so that we can do what we want. We want to say, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. You want the freedom to to make your own choices without the interference of God, of his way, of his word. You want to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And if your desire comes in conflict with what God says, well, so much the worse for God you want to use your body the way you want to you want to use your sexuality the way you want to you want to move in with your boyfriend or your girlfriend whether you're 20 or 50 or 70 when you're younger it's because of of desire when it's older it's because of money but whatever it may be you want what you want when you want it you want to run your family without anyone else speaking into it To rule or not rule as you see fit. To make your choices as you desire. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. You want to test the limits. You want to believe that you are the one who rules. Our advertisers know that. Pay attention over the next weeks as you have opportunity to watch TV or Sporting events where you might have commercials and see how many times advertisers appeal to the idea, even even for hamburger chains, that you rule your choices. What's that ultimately? But a kind of raging, a kind of desire to cast off the, the cords, to be set free so that you can be sovereign. How does God respond to all of that? Well, not in the way we might expect. According to the song, he laughs. He laughs. And this isn't the, the laughter of a tired parent who's seeing their three-year-old act out yet again. A kind of tired knowing that they're just blustering and eventually they'll well wear out. And we can finally put them to bed for the night. No no God's laughter here is a mocking kind of laugh of someone who is far more powerful than us and sees our storming for what it is. It's actually rebellion against God. And so whether God's people 2 millennia ago or God's people here today, we hear God's laughter this morning as the one who sits on the throne. Verse 4 says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. While the kings and rulers of the earth think they have power to band against, together against God and against his anointed one, God, God laughs and speaks. Verse 5, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, it's actually kind of surprising, verse 5, the nations are raging against God, he's laughing in derision at them, what you would expect for God to do is to come down and destroy the nations in his fury, to use his rod to, to strike them, to walk all over the nations with cleats, but he doesn't, rather God responds with his word, And his word affirms that he is the king and he rules. And further, he has established his king on earth and has placed this king on his mountain. That's verse 7 and 8. No, excuse me, it's verse 6. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. In other words God's response is to establish once again his Davidic king his king in the line of David his representative who will rule over his people God's going to keep his promise to have a forever king ruling over a forever kingdom and and this king that God appoints is is more than just a man No, God says he's actually his son. Verse 7, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. You are my son. Today, I have begotten you. This this language that, that, that the king in the line of David is, in fact, God's own son, it stretches back to 2 Samuel 7. They are in the midst of the promise, the covenant that God makes with David He promises that I will be to him, that is David's descendant, a father, and he shall be to me a son. And so from David's own day to Solomon, to every king in the line of David, all the way to Zedekiah, when this song was sung, Psalm 2, they would hear this language being said to them, You are my son. Today I've begotten you, or today I've adopted you. You have a special relationship with me. You rule in my stead. You execute my will. But as you know from the Old Testament, every king from Solomon on was a disappointment, if not an outright failure. Every king who heard this song sung, you are my son, today I've adopted you, didn't live like God's son. They sought their own way. They burst the bonds. They sought after their own freedom. Either by by breaking God's law in connection with wealth and power. Breaking God's law in regards to monogamy. Or even worse, breaking God's laws in terms of idolatry. So that you have a king like Ahaz who brings into the holy temple a, a foreign altar to worship a God who was not Israel's God. And so, over and again, God's people failed. Their king failed. Until at the very end of the story, you have this sorry king named Zedekiah, who is led in chains with his eyes put out to Babylon. And then 500 years, 500 years of God's people wondering, how is this going to be so? How is it going to be that God is going to have his king on his mountain. How's it going to be so that this king is going to be God's son? For 500 years, God's people waited, waited for God's son to be on God's throne, ruling God's people, which is why when the angel came to Mary, the words were electric. Behold, you will conceive in your womb And bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Did you hear it? There, in the pronouncement of the angel to Mary, you have the good news, this Jesus who is going to be born miraculously. Yes, he's the son of David. He's the promised one. He's going to occupy the the throne of his father, David, forever. But, But the reason why he can do that is because he is the son of the Most High. He is both David's son and God's son, which means in the light of Psalm 2, the angel was saying, he's here. The wait is over. After 500 years, the promises are true. They are kept. They've been fulfilled. It's no wonder that on that night that Jesus was born, the angels sang glory to God in the highest because the Messiah was born. The king was born. The son of David, the son of God, has come to occupy God's throne forever. And whom was he going to rule? Well, he's going to rule over the nations. Verse 8, ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. God the king, his anointed one, his son, won't simply rule Israel and Judah, two small nations in a 200-mile piece of dirt in the Middle East. No, No, God's vision for his son was much, much bigger. He would rule these nations that raged against him. The peoples, the multitude of peoples. He would rule them. And they will either bow the knee to Jesus the king, or be destroyed by him. One or the other. Either submit to the king, or be destroyed by the king. And that's how it's been throughout history. Isn't it? Those who submit to Jesus the Messiah, who put their trust in him, who rest in him, who believe in him, and who bow before him as their king, what happens to these? They find life, eternal life, new life, blessed life. But those who continue to rebel, who continue to rage, murmur, plot against Jesus the king, who continue to insist that there, there's no right, no wrong, no rules for me. What happens to them? They're broken by life itself. They know destruction. But friends, that's not just true throughout history. That's true right now, today. Because Jesus is the Messiah, God's King. He will rule over you. And the question for you this morning is, is whether you will submit to Jesus or not. Will you submit to Jesus or not? That is the question. But there's a warning. A warning that goes to the rulers, but it's really a warning for all of us. Verse 10, now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Did you hear it? The warning? Be wise. Be warned. The king is coming. The one who rules in the heavens has been established on earth as the true king of the world. His son, the, God's son, the Messiah, he rules over the earth, and judgment is coming to those who don't submit to the king. And so in the line of that, what's, what's the instruction? Serve the Lord. Rejoice with Trembling. Kiss the sun. It's a weird expression. Kiss the sun. What does that mean? When well, the ancient Near Eastern world, when there are conquered nations, their representative would come before the conquering king and bow down before him and kiss his feet. It was a position of humility, of obedience, obedience, and submission. And what What God's saying to us this morning, what his warning is to us this morning is to come and kiss the Son, to bow before him, to to pledge obedience to him, to submit to him. For those of us who do this this morning, what's, what's the promise? Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. It may be that you're here this morning. You've been wandering. Yeah, you profess your faith in Jesus Christ, but but the fact of the matter is, is you have these these words that you've said, and you continue to say. But there's been this double life, this this tension between what you say and the real you. You've been wandering. You've been trying to burst those bonds, trying to seek your own freedom, trying to trying to to try to live out you rule. It very well may be that you can't help yourself this morning. What you need to do is you need to call out to God and to ask him, if necessary, to batter your heart into submission so that you will be enabled to kiss the son, to submit to him, and so know his blessing. Over the last few weeks, I've been reading a couple of poets from the late 16th, early 17th centuries. Sometimes we call them the metaphysical poets, George Herbert and John Donne. Uh, John Donne's story is remarkable. Um, As a younger man he was a bit of a rake and wrote uh, some uh, remarkable uh, PG-13 type love poetry. Uh, But somewhere along the way through life's sorrows he was converted and he wrote a series of sonnets that we now call the holy sonnets uh, at the same time that Shakespeare was writing his most famous sonnets. And, and one of those holy sonnets I believe that that Dun was talking about what his own conversion was like. When he cried out, Batter my heart, three-person God. For you is yet but knock, breathe, shine, and seek to mend, that I may rise and stand. So overthrow me, and bend your force to break, blow, burn, and make me new. I, like a usurped town, to another do... Labored to admit you, but oh to no end. Reason, your viceroy in me, me should defend, but is captive, and proves weak or untrue, yet dearly I love you, and would be loved fain, but am betrothed unto your enemy. Divorce me, untie, and break that knot again, take me to you, imprison me, for I accept you, enthrall me, shall never be free. Nor ever be chaste, except you ravish me. What was Dunn trying to say as he cried out to God God, I need you to work in my life, batter my heart, take me captive, cause me to submit to you. It may be that this morning you need to pray the same prayer so that you can kiss the Son and so know His blessing. Blessed are all those who take refuge in you because He's the King. He's God's king. He's Jesus the Christ. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I pray for my friends this morning. Indeed, I pray for myself as well, that you would grant us grace to bow the knee to you, to to once again submit to you as our Lord and our King. I pray especially for those who've been wandering around they've have a profession and yet have been living a bit of a double life lord grant us grace to return to you yet again and to to rest upon you to receive you to submit to you and so know your love even as we have been loved grant us this grace lord we ask we pray it in jesus name amen